This episode of Control Watt Delete is brought to you by Greenvelope. Hosting business, nonprofit, and personal events has never been easier than with Greenvelope.com. Say goodbye to managing spreadsheets of responses, losing paper invites, or RSVPs getting lost in your inbox. Elegant, eco-friendly digital invitations, RSVP tracking, ticketing, and more, all in one place with Greenvelope. So for a free trial and 20% off, visit Greenvelope.com slash Walt. That's G-R-E-E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E dot com slash Walt. Hello, and welcome to Control Watt Delete, an increasingly carbon dioxide-free podcast from TheVerge.com. <laughs> that one, uh, that one's from Andrew Stillen on Twitter. I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and Verge executive editor and co-founder of Recode, Walt Mossberg. Hey, Walt. How's it going? Uh, it's a newsy day, Neelai, so it's going, it's, it's going well. It's a newsy day, a newsy week. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, uh-huh. But you, so we'll, let's start with a column, and I, it, it, there's a connection between your column and what uh, happened in the world today, this week, which is Facebook's big F8 conference. So right. you wrote about Slack this week, and you actually had some scoops in the column, which is always fun, some new features that are being added to Slack. Um, but a big piece of what Slack is doing is they're integrating all these services in the form of like chat bot interfaces. And then Facebook announced a whole bot interface system at F8 that they're going to build in the Messenger of all these other places. But let's start with Slack. So you joined The Verge, uh, and we, we made you start using Slack, and you immediately had many thoughts about it. So let's, let's walk through that a little bit. Okay, well, actually, we were using Slack at Recode. I thought you were using something else. Well, we were. Yeah. We were using a thing called Socialcast, mm-hmm. which is owned by uh, VMware, which is also, which I think at the, is still owned by EMC, or maybe it's been spun off. I can't remember, but uh, it was it was owned by VMware at the time, and it it had the same purpose as Slack. The idea was internal, uh, easy communication inside of a company of a team at work. And we, we were using that actually when we were called All Things D, when we were uh, owned by our, the publisher of the Wall Street Journal. And then when we broke away to Recode, we continued to use it. Uh, and, but here's the thing. So it didn't have a – it had a lousy mobile app. That was one part problem with it. Uh, second, But the second thing was it did not have integrated – uh, direct messages, DMs. Uh, and, you know, there are times when you want to be in a group conversation with everyone, and there are times when you want to do a DM, and, and they didn't have that. Maybe they do now. I don't know. Uh, so everyone uh, at Recode was, when they wanted to, you know, have a side conversation, a side chan, as it's <laughs> called by Slack users, uh, would be on some IM service. Some people did iMessage. Some people did uh, you know, AIM, actually, mm-hmm. uh, AOL's uh, instant messaging thing, which is the granddaddy of these or one of the granddaddies of these. So we got toward the end of Recode's uh, independent existence uh, as a company. We uh, we got Slack. And the original idea was just to use it as the, you know, in addition to SocialCast. And we never dropped SocialCast, but gradually you could see people migrating all the way to Slack. I think this is like a common story. This is like a people get Slack and then suddenly everything starts going towards Slack. Right, exactly. Um, and then I joined the the Verge, as, as did my great colleagues uh, Lauren Good and Katie Barrett. 
Of course, you guys were already using Slack. I know that you used some things before that too, but you were already deep into Slack. But The Verge is, is much bigger, and, and the Slack team, which is Slack's word for anything, could be <laughs> a giant company, um, was you know like 10x the size of Recode. Recode had 42 employees or something uh, on our Slack. Uh, and, uh, and at Recode, everyone knew everybody also. Right. Uh, I mean, the, the, the everybody, you know, the reporters and editors knew each other, of course, but they also knew the salespeople and the developers and the product, you know, whoever, ev- everybody. And so, and the conference producers, we all knew each other. So um, it worked, you know, there, there was a little bit of this idea of information overload, but not much. It worked pretty well on a team with 40 people. Then, boom, we, we, we joined forces and the three of us go over to The Verge and we're, we're side-chanting each other or IMing each other or whatever it was to say, whoa, I can't even figure this thing out. I mean, I thought I knew Slack. <laughs> I mean, it's like unbelievable. There's like a hundred channels just for The Verge. I'm exaggerating, yeah. but not by much. And, <laughs> there's, an, there's 95, and, yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of channels for Vox Media, which is our parent company and all the departments and divisions there. And then our sister sites have channels, which we don't frequent all that much, but, you know, they're there. And and uh, since we still had some ties to Recode, I mean, I'm still an editor-at-large there and I'm still involved in the conferences and uh, Lauren and Katie still had ties to Recode. We would also occasionally go into the Recode rooms and so, but it was just, but even just the Verge rooms, yeah. the, even the two, two or three that concerned us in our jobs the most were just just oceans of posts. Yeah. And, um, and if you had a meeting or two meetings or you were writing for a few hours and you didn't want to look at Slack and you'd come back, you'd see there's been 1,400, you know, posts since you last were there <laughs> and and – at first, we were like, oh, my God, wait, I have to read all these posts. How can I do that? You know, And so it, 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 first, I guess the first thing is uh, the general sense of information, uncategorized information overload. I mean somewhat categorized but not very. And then just the onboarding of new people, I think it's like a wall of discouragement. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot. It's a lot. So but just real quick so the audience knows, and I'm sure everybody – listening is aware of what Slack is, but Slack is basically just chat rooms, right? It's, it's a chat system. Um, and it's, it's the latest in a long line of chat systems, but at its most basic fundamental level, it's a chat room, right? And you can start a new one. You can start a private one. You can, like Walt's saying, you can DM someone on the side, but it all looks, it all looks like IRC. And our history, the Verge's history is we initially ran the entire Verge and before The Verge, the entire Engadget team ran out of IRC. And IRC is the rawest of the raw internet protocols. It is literally just plain text bouncing off a server to everybody else in the room. Uh, and it's ephemeral. So when you quit your IRC client, unless you've set it up the right way, uh, everything goes away. And when you sign into a new IRC room, you don't actually get any history unless the server is configured such that you get history. So we actually, when we started The Verge, we were still in IRC. We tried to use something called Campfire, uh, which... 
I don't even know if it still exists. Um, Campfire had no DMs either, so that, that was not a solution that was going to work for us. Um, and then we moved to something called HipChat, and it was HipChat was too slow. It ran. It was an Adobe Error program. Oh, wow! Uh, so it was like a fake yeah. app, and we were just like, "This is garbage. We're not using this." So we went. Back. We all we would always roll back to IRC, and then Slack was the first one that we used that had enough added benefit. And that the rest of the company around us was starting to use it well as well. So there was like this big value of, you know, Vox Media has people in D.C. We've got people in San Francisco. We've got people internationally. We could all talk to each other around the company much more fluidly and without the formality of email, which is Slack's big pitch, right? So if there is some sales account executive who wants to ask me a question they can write me some big formal email, you know, because they don't know me very well. And they can be like, hey, we're thinking of doing this thing, da da da. Or they can just slack me and say, hey, quick question, right? And that barrier is so much lower that you're encouraged to talk to each other more. And then what Walt is talking about is when you walk into a Slack culture or a business that's using Slack at that level, it is almost impenetrable at first because everything is moving so much faster than before. And that is a, it's a real problem. And as the company grows bigger and bigger and bigger, all of a sudden now you've got rooms that are like full of strangers basically. Um, and there's no way to like mediate who you're talking to, what everyone's talking about, um, or see what happened that was important that you need to catch up on because suddenly you don't have an email chain anymore. Someone can't just loop you in. You can't just, like, read back everything. It's all just happening in real time. Technically, you can read back, but it would take you forever. And Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not useful. I mean, there, there are a couple of other – one other thing people have to know about our particular company, and we're not – neither of us is saying our particular company is necessarily perfectly representative of all Slack users, but I think it's reasonably representative, is that we happen to be at a very fast-growing company. So Slack is about a little over two years old. And I don't know when uh, you guys adopted it, when we adopted it before um, uh, I joined, but uh, probably a little less than two years, I'm guessing, something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a year and a half ago. Okay. Well, a year and a half ago, there were like half as many people at Fox Fox, uh, Media, and uh, and, and The the Verge itself had many fewer people. So it it might have seemed uh, more workable with smaller people, and people – knew each other more. The second thing that applies beyond our company, uh, but I think applies pretty widely in the modern workforce, is you have a lot of people working remotely. Um, mm-hmm. And on the one hand, Slack is good for that uh, because you because even though you're remote, you can be in the conversation. But on the other hand, you don't actually get the chance to meet so so there are new people coming on who are by definition strangers to everyone or to a lot of people and then uh secondly you're remote so even if somebody's been there the whole time you may have met them once or you may have never met them or whatever and it's also hard uh even though there's a directory function built into slack which gives sometimes gives titles it sometimes is hard to figure out Who's in charge of what or why is this person sort of acting like a boss when you didn't think they were a boss? Of, and they yeah. might be a, quote, boss of some aspect of the of the uh, of a project or something going on at the company that – but you don't know that because that was uh, something that was just decided verbally and not necessarily in some way on Slack. So um, it, it – I think it actually 
it gets more and more problematic the bigger the company is. And when I was reporting this column, uh, and I have to say right here that Stuart Butterfield, the CEO of the company, was very generous with time, with me, talking about these things. He was very willing to admit that they have problems they have to solve, and his team was good at getting me stats and things I needed. So thanks to them. uh, I think that was great. Uh, But um, I think there is – Slack is a a product that, as I said in the column, needs work. It has to make some fixes and especially especially for uh, clients of theirs, and their clients are primarily companies who are – growing or who are already big. Uh, He told me about one company, uh, which is a very familiar name in tech, but he asked me to keep it off the record. uh, And it's not just – I'll just tell you now. It's not Apple or Google or Facebook or or, uh, Amazon. It's not like one of the big four or five. It's not Microsoft. But it's a very – it's a big company and it's a familiar name where, you know, they have 50 independent slacks. And they can't talk to and, – and some people – and it's because he actually told me about a second very big name in tech also in the same situation where one team uh, or one division or part of the company started using Slack. Somebody else saw it, kind of liked it. They started it with their team. They started – another one started with their team. So this company has 50 and there are people on those 50 different Slacks which stand alone. They're islands that want to uh, or need to uh, post occasionally in uh, channels or rooms, whatever you want to call them. They call them channels that are on a different Slack or they want to DM. And, of course, they could do an iMessage. They could do a WhatsApp. They could do a Facebook Messenger post. But they might want to just DM inside Slack and they can't. So one of the things, one of the little micro scoops, I guess, uh, that he gave me was that they are working on this enterprise edition, which they've said, but he told me that one key reasons they're doing it and one of the things that they're hoping to, they're hoping to build into it is the ability for administrators or managers, whoever it is that runs all this at the company, to say, okay, these these channels on these 10 Slack instantiations are cross-posting channels and you can DM across these various Slacks and all that sort of thing. So uh, they have a they they have a bunch of problems, and I, I also will say I talked to the head of a company that uses Slack, who again, if I told you who it is, you would know. And I'm not trying to be a dope or a tease here, but uh, the person asked me not to uh, uh, not to bring up his name or his company's name, but they are actually kind of pondering whether Slack makes sense for them anymore. Uh, I guess because of their size. He mentioned something else. He mentioned one of the things I mentioned, which is that search is difficult on it, discovering discovering past things. Because unlike our, our the, your description of IRC, Slack does keep an archive yep. and a history of everything, which, by the way, is problematic for some people. people, particularly in the light of the Apple FBI fight. People are like, well, wait a minute. This isn't so great. And Well, it's beyond that. It's uh – you know, Hulk Hogan suing Gawker um, and won actually a trial. And part of that case was they subpoenaed the slack. So now they're reading stupid water cooler jokes in litigation in slack. I mean, that rocketed around every media company I yeah. know. Like, 
if you get sued for defamation, all of a sudden they're going to start they're going to start pulling your Slack records and some stupid joke you might have made is all of a sudden at the center of a, a trial, uh, which act, literally just happened to Gawker. Um, so I think Slack is going to they have some features where you can you know. Records retention features. Every enterprise company needs to have this stuff. And they have a feature if you have a particular – so there, there are free Slack plans and then there are different levels of paid Slack plans. This enterprise thing I mentioned ago will be another level of paid. Uh, but there's one that already exists. I think it's called Plus and um, mm-hmm. that has a feature. I'm going to get the name wrong. But it basically amounts to uh, document ex- or, or history export. That's not the name of it. But – if for legal reasons, either you're subpoenaed or you're a company that's subject to Sarbanes-Oxley or one of those things, they can they can actually generate the record for you, and that's part of a particular paid plan. It's a feature, right? But so what's interesting to me about and by the way, if you work at a company, your email already has all that stuff yeah. layered into yeah. it. You, you just don't get to see it. Um, what's What's fascinating to me though is Slack. On the one hand. And this is really what your column got at. At On the one hand, Slack radically improves the transparency of your organization. It radically increases your decision-making speed because you lose all the formality of email, right? Right. I can can just ping a random writer in Slack and say, hey, good job, without feeling like I have to write some 20-page email to them to just say good job. Or someone can send me a link and be like, what do you think? You know, it's, it's just very fast. The communication gets very fast. It also, because it loses a formality, you Every see, you, you send good job Slack messages. I don't get those from you. Well, I think uh, you know you're not. You, well, here's the thing. I don't. I think you could stand to improve a little bit. And I didn't want to tell you here on the podcast. <laughs> but you know, it, it's a free and open uh, exchange of ideas, and I, this is the way I got to tell you. No, uh, I, to me, it, it's that removing that formality also necessarily can create problems because people don't necessarily know how to talk to each other and because it's so hard to follow the conversation previous um you can just run into and i watch it happen every day and the benefit right now outweighs the bad but people are walking and it's getting close though it's getting close uh at, yeah. the, at least at, so at our sli- size so, it's getting close but this is where something like threaded messaging comes right. into play and that was sort of your other your other little micro scoop right so let me explain that so um everyone i've talked to uh, since I joined The Verge, where remember what I said at Recode, it wasn't such a problem because we all knew each other and there was a small number of people. But ever since I've joined The Verge, people have talked about threading. What's threading for those few people who may not know? Um, you know, it means uh, uh, things that are related questions, answers, ideas, comments, jokes about comments, whatever. Are, is in a thread, and, and you can read the whole history of it very easily, and it gets and things get resolved. And when they get closed out, a decision is made, a consensus is reached, whatever, um, that's done. Right now, the way Slack works, it works. Uh, I compared it to an AOL chat room from the 1990s. Uh, remember, AOL used to have these chat rooms, some of which were for flirting and some of which were for, I don't know, politics, sports, whatever. And they were just chat rooms like Slack has now. Um, so you're discussing something work-related. You're discussing – in our, we're a media company, so you're discussing a story or a type of story or a new kind of section you want to have in the, in the site, whatever it is. And, you know – you're going back and forth, and some of it is time sensitive, 
another thing. I mean, lots of companies have time sensitivity, but media companies especially. And um, so you're talking, and then somebody interjects with a completely different thing, which may be equally important. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not related. And it comes right in, and somebody in the, your conversation feels like they have to peel off and deal with that other thing at least momentarily and the whole uh, kind of you're just left hanging there. And then a third person can jump in and with another thing. And even if they're all completely legitimate, completely important, it's very disorienting uh, to getting work done. So threading was when I asked people and people uh, uh, around uh, – people in different parts of our company um, – what what they wanted fixed. Some people actually gave me five point lists. Um, I, I'm not kidding. Um, but one, but the number one thing uh, that everyone told me, except for one person who we both like a lot, who, who we do. <laughs> oh, we can name him. He, he, he he's proud. It's of our good fans. friend Dieter Bone, who's the yeah. the uh, executive editor of The Verge. Um, yeah. And uh, he doesn't like the idea of doing threading on Slack. But he was alone uh, um, um, <laughs> among among the people I the, who who came in with suggestions to me. Uh, well, Dieter's a purist. He's a purist, and they all wanted threading. And what they really mean by threading is, in fact, every one. I, I had three suggestions. Uh, uh, one was threading. Uh, one was a better way to. Um, Opt, uh, you know, to, to snooze a, a, a channel or yeah. to snooze a conversation or to a more. They have a way you can say I'm 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 away or I've snoozed something, but it's not very nuanced. People wanted much more nuanced ways. I I want to be out of this channel for a while, but I don't mind being in this other channel, which may be a little less hectic uh, or more important to what I'm doing at that moment. And then third thing that people complained about, which I, by the way, I personally agree with every one of these things, is um, the search isn't very good. Uh, discovering uh, what went on uh, isn't very easy, and you can't search in direct messages. Even your, I mean, your own. I'm not saying you should be able to search in other people's private messages, but your own messages you can't call. Like Neilai and I had this, made this interesting decision, or. He had this interesting observation or I said this to him last month in a direct message. I can't find it uh, through search. So um, really I pointed out in the column that what those all really amount to, all three of them, is ways to get control of the information overload that Slack presents to you, ways to you know, organize it, ways to navigate better through it. And that's which turns it slowly back into email, which I think is the fastest. It doesn't. It doesn't have to. It could be a very streamlined kind of email. I don't think threading. And one of the, one of the reasons, you know, they began promising threading last year, uh, and when I talked to him, he said they are on their third. In, they've been using it for months internally. They had one version. They thought I didn't get into all this in the column, but they thought it was too heavy, too email-like, so they dropped that, and then they went to a second one, and that wasn't quite it. Now they're on a third one, and that's the one he thinks they're going to release. And he and he did say they're going to release threading next quarter, which was one of the micro scoops in there, and uh, he thinks it, it'll be this one uh, that they have now. But I don't think that turns it into email. I think it just organizes it, it better. By the way, I have to digress and tell you I'm looking at 
the column I wrote right now on our site. Yeah. And the ad that is at the top right is a Slack ad. It's pretty funny. No, here you go. <laughs> See, Walt, I read the ad at the top of the show, and now Walt's getting a side piece. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man? It's because you've been searching for Slack. All the, all the ad tech of the internet knows that you're interested in Slack. Um, so here's what's interesting, and this is, I think, where we need we can turn a little bit towards Facebook. Sure. Slack not only presents you with this flood of information from the people at your company, which I think, we, we, as you talked about, we need a little, they, they need to improve the tools of managing that flood. The big disruptive part of Slack is that it lets you talk to services or let services talk to you inside that interface. So we have a Slack room that's connected to our Trello board. Right. And, you know, we manage all of our stories in a tool called Trello. Uh, and so when somebody assigns an editor to the, a Trello card to a story, uh, a little notification pops up in Slack. Our product team, when a deploy goes out on one of our sites, there's a notification that shows up in one of the rooms in Slack. There's like a million of these integrations. There's uh, Google. There's there are, Google Docs. There's there's a yeah. There's, there's just, just all kinds of stuff of where s- suddenly these outside services are able to communicate with you inside of Slack, and that represents an enormous opportunity. Slack is funding companies to build that's, sort of these integrations right. and bots. They have of almost four hundred of them now. Right, and it's basically it's it's chatbots, right? I mean, if you if you just abstract it all the way out, what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to type to a service, or a service is going to type to you, and it's going to show up in text. Maybe it'll be dressed up a little bit. Some of the integrations are nicely dressed up, and then you and that is why Slack is one of the fastest growing companies. I think the fastest enterprise grow, fastest growing enterprise company in history. I think is what they say. That's what they say. Um, and it is why they. It's more than just Yammer or Socialcast or HipChat. It is becoming a enterprise application platform, um, the likes of which has not existed before. No, I, that's, so that's exactly – I exactly agree with you. Uh, I didn't – that's not – wasn't a theme – one of the themes in my column, but I exactly agree with you. And Right. So then on the flip side, you have Facebook, right. which runs Messenger. And a few weeks ago, you have Microsoft, which runs Skype and all this other stuff, saying, well, shit, these are consumer application platforms. And we're going to have chatbots talking to you in Messenger. And Facebook is like, here's our chatbot platform. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was on stage saying, you're never going to call 1-800-Flowers again. You're just going to text it, I want some flowers. In Messenger, it'll show you a picture of flowers, and you'll send it along to whoever you want. That is, it's exactly the same idea as Slack on a much different scale and obviously targeted towards a much more consumer audience. And that'll work great until your wife notices she gets the same flowers every time you send her flowers. Because <laughs> the bot only shows you the same flowers. It's like, what flowers do we have too many of today? The bot will show you those, you know? Oh, daisies? Yeah, she'll start okay. texting the bot for you. Um, yeah, it, 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 but it's the same idea. And what's interesting, like really, truly interesting and cyclical, is suddenly to get around the tight platform control that Apple and Google have over their app stores. To get an icon on the, the screen of uh, the average mobile phone is like very difficult, right? You have to, there's a ton of com- competition in the app store. Consumer attention is obviously fragmented. You've got to market it. You know, you watch these mobile games, they just spend millions on marketing to get people to download the games and play them. Um, that's just hard. And to, you know, the average number of apps people download in a month is zero. Like, right. it's that hard. Uh, so 
what are the other platforms by which you can get attention? And messaging apps are the, the most popular apps in all these platforms. So how do we build our apps and services onto the messaging platforms is the next, I think, big battleground because you already have I, I agree with you. And in fact, it's, uh, it's going on in uh, – it's been going on in Asia for a number of years where you know, that's sort of the messaging services are sort of the spine of everything else people do on their devices, which in Asia, you know, f- fewer people, statistically fewer people have PCs. So – uh, their shift to mobile was even more dramatic and earlier than ours, and uh, messaging services are perfect for mobile. And so they just built, you know, everything, money transfer, um, just everything uh, into yeah. these services. Yeah, if you look at it, like a, a WeChat or Line, there's a you know, you know, Ben Thompson is like a great kind of business tech blogger, and he was like, people don't quite understand that WeChat isn't just texting bots. It's They actually build graphical interfaces for these services inside the messaging app. And you look at what Facebook is doing, and there's a nod towards that. Plus, a whole I'm sure they have a whole interface for the Chinese government to listen to everything. <laughs> I'm sure. No, no, I'm not kidding. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, no, when sure. I was it's... there and I used it, I kept thinking every minute, well, <laughs> you know, I'm talking to the government. And then the government was like, Mossberg's here. Keep an eye out for him. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's transferred money again. Um, but, you, but you look at that, and it, it, on one hand, it's to get around the platform control that Apple and Google have over these stores and how hard it is to get a new idea into, in front of a consumer well, you're, is very difficult. You're right, but you're casting it as you know, the poor, small developer, and this is an, or the developer even if it's big and this is a way to another way to do it but the problem is the answer is facebook messenger with 900 million or people <laughs> yeah. and it's facebook and facebook is just as big and powerful and controlling as uh apple or google in its own way uh, it has a different kind of platform but it's a, it's another big platform and uh, but it's lighter weight, right? I mean, it's it's a, it's the same kind of. It's related in my mind to the conversation we had last week about apps and web. It's if you put all your development in the cloud and you say it will be expressed through messaging services. Well, you can now you can address Messenger and Skype and WeChat and Line. No, I'm not so sure. I think I'm, I mean you may know better than I do, but I'm not so sure the APIs for all those are identical and that you don't still don't need slightly different teams. To right. to do it, I, I in fact I'd be willing to bet you need slightly different teams to do it because I don't think there are standards like there are for web pages, which was your argument. But that was Microsoft's pitch, right? Like build it on our back end, and we'll build the bot service around you that lets you. They they kept on talking about messaging services as canvases, right? So you see that the development action is how do we make it easier to do all? I agree, and 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 you can see it today if you are in the United States and you mostly use American products, uh, you can see it today, I think, best expressed in Facebook Messenger. In fact, our colleague Katie Barrett wrote a, a, uh, a post about it a week or two ago with you know, tips about all the different things that are in Facebook Messenger that go beyond just messaging. There's all these icons at the bottom. I think at F8 they showed even some more. And yep. um, you can already uh, exchange money there and, and of course, uh, this is now table stakes, but you can call up gifts and you can just do a whole large range of things in that 
in that messaging platform. So Facebook has the Facebook platform that we all know uh, know about, and then they have the Messenger platform. And yes, you can do messaging inside Facebook, but it's, in my opinion, not a very good user experience. But the separate messaging app, Messenger app, or Messenger website, because websites and apps coexist, and <laughs> you have your choice depending on the device you're using. Uh, uh, but those things uh, fully express uh, everything that's in that messaging app and all those extra things. So I agree. I hear you and I agree. I think it's uh, one. Of, it's the next big thing. I think it's actually a bigger and more important near-term trend than VR, which yep. which Facebook is also backing, even to the point of having a camera, even to the point of hiring. Uh, one of the smartest uh, hardware uh, engineers and visionaries in Silicon Valley uh, from Google just a couple of a- oh. hours ago. Regina Dugan. Regina Dugan, who we both know and um, yeah. and uh, who I think, you know, is terrific. It shows they're very serious about hardware. But, but um, I think well before VR is mainstream, this messaging and integration thing that Slack is has been moving very fast at doing uh and facebook has been moving uh not quite as fast but pretty fast at doing is gonna uh it's gonna be a big near-term deal and there may be who knows there may be a shift from not only apps but also i'm afraid the web uh (laughs) to uh this every week a funeral for the web i get it but actually i want to i want to let's let's talk about facebook as Facebook for a minute. Uh-huh. Facebook to me is, and uh, Natasha Tico actually wrote a great piece in BuzzFeed, I think this morning about it, which I encourage you to read. The future is great as long as you use our API, uh, I think was the title or the subtitle. Facebook is becoming the internet. And if you look yes. at, for many people, it is the, it's the, it's the app or it's Instagram or it's WhatsApp or it's Messenger. They all have a billion users. Uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was on stage yesterday and he's like, our plan is simple. First, we have an idea or a technology that we're interested in. We build it, we put it onto our platform, and then we get a billion people to use it. And it's like, yeah, that sounds real simple, Mark. I'll just take that advice right now. <laughs> um, but their, their ability to scale these products and they have all of these platforms, they are rapidly becoming the the alpha and the omega of the internet for people. And then if you look at their other plans, they've got solar planes that beam the internet from the sky to places where there isn't the infrastructure available. They're doing free basics, uh, which, you know, they just got run out of India because the Indian government said this is a blatant violation of net neutrality for you to say you can have free internet, but all you can access is Facebook and our preferred partners. Right, but that's, that's, your choice of words is precise and correct. It's the internet they're 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 yeah. providing the internet, not the web. And right. you could say Facebook's part of the web, but uh, and I suppose technically it is. But uh, you know, <laughs> it, I, I think I brought this up last week when we were discussing apps versus web, and I and you were talking about the web being open. And I said yes, it is open, but for most people, uh, or the most popular thing on the web by far is this semi-closed system of Facebook, where, as you correctly pointed out, even with the instant articles feature, sharing, uh, or they they have two sharing buttons, and the one you're most likely to use only shares onto Facebook. And that (laughs) is their, you know, it's very much like AOL 
in in when I first encountered it and wrote about it in 1992. Here we go. Perfect segue, Walt. All right. You're going to get one of those good job messages from me in Slack any second. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so I have here Walt Mossberg. And we should go into some history on this column because uh, it, it, Walt just sent it to me before the show. And it it's so fascinating. And, it, and all of the things it led to are so fascinating. But Wall Street Journal, uh, October 8th, 1992. I got to say, incredible shade in the headline. Uh, Walt is reviewing Prodigy in America Online for the first time. Headline is, Prodigy has promise, but America Online may be the prodigy, which is incredible. Like, just an incredible headline. Uh, and I'm going to read just the, the first couple paragraphs here, and then I want to skip to to another part that I think really reflects on Facebook. So just imagine, it's 1992. The, the internet, the web is a concept, has not yet really hit consumers. Uh, and in this column, Walt never mentions the web. It's... It's not a part of the service. But let me, so let me read these first two. Most online database services that you can dial up from your computer were born in the days when computers were viewed as little more than electronic teletypes. They present information in long blocks of plain text, manipulated with old-fashioned commands. But two newer online services take a radically different approach. Prodigy, a joint project of international business machines and Sears Robot. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, and America Online both feature graphics on the screen, display text in variable styles and fonts, and let users navigate through various databases by selecting commands on screen with a mouse pointing device. I love that the copy editors of the journal made you qualify it with mouse pointing device. Yeah. So well, that's the intro. So it, we're at the very beginning. We have to introduce even the I mean, this was before of, Windows 90, 95, you remember. So there were a lot of people who had computers without mice. Uh, right. the, and the Mac wasn't selling very well, so, you know. I guess it's 92. It's before Windows 95. That's incredible. Uh, so then here's the paragraph I think speaks directly to Facebook. America Online's content is much too broad to fully describe here. It includes news, bulletin boards, and every type of computer software, and a vast range of non-computer material on topics from wine to aviation. There are online university courses and real estate listings, classified ads, financial data, small business information center. There are databases sponsored by the National Education Association, the National Geographic Society, the Library of Congress, and the College Board. Its electronic mail system is sophisticated and easy to use. That's the that was the internet for people. It was, was logging this easy to use thing. Absolutely, and that was you the have internet. Access all this information, and then the web. And and, and as what was pointing out before the the show began, they also sold you the access, which maps completely to F Facebook saying we'll sell you or provide you access to the internet, but what you're going to do is enter our walled garden, right? The the, the parallels are almost exact. It, it, it's. No, I, I agree. It's 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 like full circle back around. Obviously, much more sophisticated. And by the way, Facebook is threaded. I should point that out. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, it just occurred to me when you were when you were reading that stuff. Hmm, Facebook is actually threaded. You know, it, yeah. it is. Uh, well, I mean, a, a huge part of AOL's uh, in, like interest in the beginning was chat rooms. Of all things, we've come all the way back around to chat rooms, but which were not threaded. Um, yeah, but yeah, and they actually were. It was slightly risque, if you remember, because some of the chat rooms yeah. were sexual in nature, flirting in nature, whatever it was called in, uh, at the time. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, and, AOL, and, and and that column was, I'm pretty sure, at least AOL says so, it was the first sort of national 
recognition of AOL. They had about 200,000 members at the time. Prodigy and CompuServe, which I covered in another column, was uh, roughly 2 million. Those are tiny numbers if you think about it, but compared to AOL, there were giant numbers. They were 200,000. They were operating out of a office park in behind a Cadillac dealer in Northern Virginia. <laughs> and um, they were. They're dreaming. They're looking at the windows, dreaming <laughs> of Cadillacs. Right. And at some point, um, they hired uh, a young man who we now both work for. <laughs> Jim Bankoff, who runs That's Fox true. Media, but uh, and they and there were a lot of people actually who are AOL veterans scattered around the industry. So me, I used to work for AOL. All of the engagement. Yeah, you AOL. weren't. Direct, I understand they owned you, but you weren't at AOL Central. But um, oh, I had a team AOL email address, man. They mm, they tried mm, to centralize. Mm, all right, and I resisted. Yeah, but you but you were, but you were a rebel. <laughs> what can I tell you? Um, but but the thing is that. Um, the analogy with Facebook, I think, holds. Um, and although I did not, and I should have, but I, or maybe it didn't exist then, I don't know. I didn't get into AIM in that column. Uh, nope. AIM became uh, the first serious, popular, mainstream chat app. And they, they started it, or at least they bolstered it, by buying an Israeli company called IRQ. ICQ, ICQ sorry. Um, for if I want to say it was like 400 million bucks. I mean, it was long. Yeah, it was some huge number at the, uh, time. At the time. And uh, uh, you know, they bought it from a guy named Yossi Bardi, who is still uh, or has become one of the big VCs in Israel. Which, as a lot of listeners will know, is one of the you know one of the countries outside the U.S. that um, has kind of the most tech density. And um, they, so AIM, and then event, they did a lot of different things. They broke AIM out into its own product, and where I think it still is there as its own product. And as I said, at, at Recode, some people used AIM um, uh, unofficially just as a way to communicate privately with their colleagues because SocialCast didn't have that feature built in. So, um, yeah, Facebook is trying to is trying to be the whole – the whole internet, and it is probably the whole internet to a lot of people. Or it coupled with Google Search is probably. The, I mean, if you the whole, right, I think it's hard to ignore the Google Search part of it. But if you if you think about, and I know a lot of people like this, they get their iPhone, they use one service from Apple, which is iMessage, they use one service from Google, which is Search, and then they use four services from Facebook. Right, they spend all of the time in the in the core, I think Facebook calls it the big blue app, the core Facebook app, Instagram, Messenger, you know, and they're in WhatsApp. A lot of people, a lot of the international people I know use WhatsApp. Yeah, less popular that, here, but yeah. But that's incredible, right? I mean, it it's hard to think of another company that has this range of services that is impossible to to divert people from. And, that and I to. am I'm about to say something for which I have zero, and I mean zero proof, even though I did just uh, spend some time talking to their CEO. But I wonder if Facebook isn't thinking about buying Slack or, <laughs> or start, well, because where is Facebook not used every day? It's in the enterprise or in, in workplaces. It's not used as a workplace tool, I don't Which, think. But if you're, if you're running a Fortune 500, do you really want Facebook running? No, you don't. But what if there were a, a, a work version of Facebook? Uh, yeah. That's something. And what if they took Slack and solved these problems 
and, and solved the scale issue and or created a competitor to Slack that did or all those things. Another obvious – and I, I don't think Slack is for sale. I think my sense of it is that they want to build it. No, I, 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 I agree with you and that's why I said – But Microsoft, another clear suitor for that sort of thing, yeah, right? They're a that's huge, right. But, but so let me ask you this um, in, as we close here. So AOL – I was about to call it America Online, but AOL got – effectively disrupted by the web in the classical sense of disruption, right? Here's a cheaper, worse competitor that can do most of the job and you can get – you, you don't have to pay the high AOL fees, whatever. You can well, they actually they for, actually uh, integrated the web uh, pretty quickly. But not well. I mean they, they no, did it I mean, but you use their as browser well as for they a could. second. You could go to uh, – I remember this very well. I mean when you looked at the kind of page or lists of – various rooms or sections you could go to, they had a certain icon that showed you that that was actually a web site and you could click on it and go to it. I mean, they didn't stop. No, stop. But that was by the end. I think the web disrupted the... Yeah, of course, of course. Of put course. everybody in it. It did. But, so that happened. Um, and obviously AOL fell by the wayside. But if you... But apply that lesson to Facebook, right? If we're saying Facebook has this potential to be the next kind of AOL or already is the it next is. kind of AOL for people. What what does Facebook have to look out for? Where do they stumble? What's the thing that's going to do to them with the web? Well, I, I, look, I don't know for sure. Uh, but I think, you know, Facebook in the last few years, Facebook is, uh, look, Facebook has been very creative. They've been out ahead of other people. They have very good engineers. Now they have Regina Dugan, which is even, I mean, you know, that's another super good engineer. And, I mean, for, for listeners who don't know this, which is 99% of them, <laughs> uh, she uh, later went on to she, – she was the first woman to run DARPA. Sorry to digress, but she was the first woman yeah. to run DARPA. Then she was hired by Motorola, uh, uh, which was owned, at the time owned by Google to, to kind of replicate the kind of advanced research methodologies she had used at DARPA. And then when they sold Motorola, she, she went over to Google. But when she was at Motorola, she made she made an appearance. It was actually her second appearance at our uh, D conference, as it was called in the, at that time. You were covering it, uh, mm -hmm. and um, I <laughs> I have a picture somewhere of you in an entire Velcro suit. <laughs> You know, being <laughs> stuck to the Motorola Maker van or whatever they had parked outside. It's quite funny, actually. Yes. Um, but so Facebook ha has been great. But but here's where Facebook might falter, might, might falter. I think they are trying so hard to be the destination where you spend your time by, you know, uh, to, you know reading uh, content, doing your own posts, although apparently there's been some drop off in that. Um, I, I, I think I think they could try so many different things that it could change the nature of it. And here's a good example: um, they're they're going they're betting enormously on video, and everybody is focused on VR. But that's not for a, quite a while. I think that that will be a huge deal. You'll see it. You'll start seeing it almost immediately. Maybe it's already there, but you'll start seeing more of it. But it's not going to be mainstream for quite a while. Uh, there's already a lot of video that's produced, but now the next big thing is live video, which 
I, I know that you smoothly and with no problems set up a live video yesterday on, on Facebook. I know this because Dieter did his own live video of you setting up your art live video. And uh, our, our, our good friend and colleague, uh, Helen Havlak, has uh, warned me that she uh, uh, wants me to start doing live videos on Facebook, which mm-hmm. I'm sure will entertain millions. But um, oh, they're going to be spectacular. Uh, spectacular, yeah. Uh, I wonder, and I said this on TV today, so I might as well say it here. I'm just wonder whether the average person and 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 all generations are on Facebook. I mean, in fact, there are studies that show that this meme that you know young people don't use it is actually not true. Um, there's plenty of young people. There's plenty of boomers. There's plenty of whatever on Facebook. I just wonder if the average person is going to want to make live videos that other people are going to watch or, or that people are going to sit there and watch, you know, kind of very spontaneous live videos. Yes, they'll watch it if it's Adele or Taylor Swift or Trump or Bernie or somebody doing a live video or or a sports star or whatever. But, you know, just if everybody who now posts their wedding pictures or what they're eating or what their political views are or, God, you know, something worse decides to do this live, um, mm-hmm. I just wonder about that. I wonder – and it, it depends how big the bet is. Not on video overall. That I get. But on live video. So I'm just raising that. I just I think it's an interesting experiment to see if it will resonate with their mainstream users. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, YouTube resonated. I think the the thing about live, and I I think about it in a very boring corporate way, um, but here it is: live is the cheapest content view I can get anywhere in the media landscape right now. So you know, even to write an article on The Verge as Walt well knows, requires like a series of hoops and like processes and social media editors and this and and I have to edit Walt and that just drives everybody crazy. Um, (laughs) uh, Right. I mean, even just put text on the website. Don't bother me. I'm editing Walt. (laughs) It it takes some effort, right? And we have to jump through all this process. To put a video on the website or on YouTube is like a whole, I mean, that's just, we have a whole team. They work hard. They've they're using, you know, they've got to edit the videos. They got to find songs. They got to do all this stuff. They're, they're using good. They're using on. really good cameras. Yeah, it's expensive. Not just their iPhone, you know, whatever. Yeah. To use live, you just open the app and put and suffer through their interface, which is a little more complicated than I'd like. But you push the button and go. Um, and Facebook, because they control their algorithm, will put that video in front of everybody. Uh, and what they have said is they're moving the Messenger tab off the bottom of the main Facebook app and replacing it with live. So you click that and either you're going to start broadcasting live or you can look at everybody in your feed's right. live videos. But you So they're they're going to heavily promote it. So at least for publishers, all of a sudden you can distribute to a massive audience. I get it. But you're instantly. speaking like a publisher and editor. And I'm I'm talking about Jane Smith who's on there deciding she Jane she, Smith listening right now just perked up. Hi Jane. Hey Jane. So <laughs> she she would like to do a live video where she talks about her views on the election or how cute her baby is or whatever it I is. Th- and yeah, whatever it is. And I am I am not and you know, you see your 
your Facebook friends' pictures of their babies. Some of them are cute. Some of them are not so cute. But you you click like or one of the new other reactions, love, whatever it is, and you probably don't click, you know, the bad ones for the baby pictures. And maybe if you're inclined and it's really a friend of yours, you might leave a little comment and then you're done. But if you have to sit and watch that person say, this, my baby did this, the cutest thing today and here's what it was and, you know, whatever. I, that's what I, I, I mean, both in terms of are they willing to make it and, 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 and are other people willing to watch it? I'm just raising yeah. that question. I don't so know. So there's that. I think people are going to use it in surprising ways. So Facebook's, you know, their, their internal stats are that engagement time on live videos, like through the roof. So they can, it doesn't matter if it's publishers or it's individuals or whoever. Um, but not many individuals are using it yet. It is mostly people whose names they know or whose uh, who are affiliated with a. Uh, well, well, that's the magic of Facebook, right? You see the lot. It's almost certainly somebody you know. No, right? and no, no. So it, it Pe- doesn't matter if you're people a celebrity are well known or, if you're or a small who come from a well known, you know, publication right. or institution. you're talking about celebrities. But I'm saying the magic of Facebook is that. There's like the local familiarity because if you've done a reasonably good job of maintaining your Facebook profile, you you should know everybody that you're friends with in some way or another. What I would say is the the parallel I would draw is more towards something like Twitch, right, where yeah. people are just streaming video games live all day and all night and it's people are captivated by it. And I think Facebook sees that. There's something else they could do there. And maybe it's not I'm going to go live and just rant about the election. It's I'm in a place and something's happening and I'm just going to go live and talk to everybody for two minutes about where I am. That could be pretty riveting, particularly if there was something important or interesting happening where they are. Uh, There's like events. I mean it's just going to generate more and more content. I I get it and I'm not arguing hard about this with you, Neelai. But you you asked me where where they could stumble and I think that – Getting away from the core product. Yeah. The more they get away from the core product – it's not like I'm sitting here saying, hey, let's never do video. They're already doing video. I do video uh, and and you do video and uh, it's fine. It's great. It's more than fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, I did a, a video. What When was it? A few weeks ago about, you know, all of Apple's crazy products over 40 years or big products, you know, and, and a lot of people watched it. It was on YouTube and it was on Facebook and whatever. Um, but – uh, and 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 there are people much better than me at video who get way more views than that. But um, I'm just saying, you know, the average person has to commit a little time to watching it, uh, and has to decide they want to do it. And it, and I wonder about it. I wonder about it. That's the really the proper way to put it. I just wonder about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the question of are you, are people going to even want to suck up their bandwidth? with watching live videos all day and all night. We don't know the answer yet. Yeah. And I think the answer is, well, Facebook is just going to pay for your internet for you now. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Facebook has a huge uh, um, video program going, and Facebook videos do very well. There's no money connected to them whatsoever right now, right? Advertising on Facebook video doesn't exist. How are they going to convince me to keep publishing Facebook videos and like thinking about making Facebook videos in the in the one particular format that works very well on Facebook, which is this sort of autoplay, no sound thing. Um, how are they going to convince publishers and people to do that without 
putting money against it, which is something that YouTube had to learn very quickly and did well. Um, they announced it, Facebook announced yesterday that uh, they're going to start doing a content ID like service that YouTube has, so you can't just steal videos and put it on right. Facebook, which is an enormous problem right now. Um, so they are that part of their business is rapidly maturing, and I think I think what you're saying is correct. The more they put their focus on the new part of the business the more they necessarily can't be focused on the old part of the business, which is where the value was in the beginning. And the, and the audience has to move with them or, you know, some, someone will come along and do that core service better. So, th- but so this that's is a heavy moat, right? I mean, doing Instagram better than Instagram is not, it's not it's like, like some easy challenge. Right. Luckily they own it. Um, <laughs> but, sure. you know, so these are just questions we have. It's a new, th- particularly about live, it's a new thing. And we'll probably have more podcasts including maybe one which says, hey, we raised this question, but hey, everybody loves it and it works great. And that, right. that may be the answer. And you can make money off it. Or, you know, will an individual be able to make money off it? I don't, I doubt it. Well, but but that, maybe. that was the secret to YouTube, right? Yeah. Ultimately, that, that, that became, that's why YouTube is, is as successful as it is because I'd, they enabled I'd, these I'd, individuals. I'd love to kind of know, and we're almost out of time, but I, I'd love to kind of know, and I don't know, Somebody on the verge probably knows um, what percentage of the views and the money goes to people who are, quote, YouTube stars, uh, some of whom work their way up to being YouTube stars from nothing, uh, versus the people that post, you know, the chord, the right chords to play when you're covering, you know, um, I want to hold your hand or something, of which there seem to me to be an unlimited number of YouTube videos like that. And I'm not against <laughs> them. I'm thrilled that people are able to put up videos of whatever of whatever they want like that. But I, it's hard for me to imagine that those folks are, uh, you know, other than self-satisfaction, are, are actually making anything off that. We did a great feature uh, about a year ago. And maybe I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll find the link. And I'll have Andrew put it in the show notes on the site. We did a great feature about YouTube's middle class, about how they – are working, you know, there's people who do it on the side, they make a little bit of money and they're happy, and there's the big stars uh, who make a ton of money, and there's sort of the middle class of people who are just desperately trying to make it and have YouTube be their career, and it's very hard for them. And I'll, I'll find that. It was a great story. Uh, good feature, great photos, all that sort of thing. Well, uh, we'll stick it in the show notes. Anyhow, uh, well, I think Facebook is saved. I think we've done a good job of yeah. making sure that they... And Slack, could- Slack <laughs> is on the bubble. We'll see. Slack is on the bubble. And actually, the future of our podcast, uh, I hope you don't like audio too much because Walt and I are just going to type it to you from now on. <laughs> a messaging app. So all the It'll only made. be available on CompuServe. <laughs> Wait, there is no CompuServe. <laughs> Didn't AOL buy CompuServe in the end? Eventually. Crazy? Eventually. It was, it was quite a sweet – You know, I don't think they paid much for it, but it was, it was quite a sweet thing. And, and Prodigy, which uh, after that 1992 column where I – picked AOL over Prodigy, the head of Prodigy uh, marched into the Wall Street Journal and demanded that I be fired. But that's another oh story. Well, let me, can I just read, <laughs> I'll end on this and we'll do all the goodbyes. But this is the one of the final lines of Walt's 1992 AOL Prodigy column is tremendous in retrospect. Next month, Prodigy plans to begin offering the service at a transmission speed of 9,600 bits a second, four times as fast as its current top speed. I have tried the new speed and improves Prodigy dramatically, but it will cost a few dollars more a month to use, and most subscribers must first shell out nearly $200 for faster modems. Yep. That is just, as a blast from the past, it is absolutely incredible. And also to think that 
any service now would make you pay uh, both for a new hardware and a higher subscription rate. Like if Netflix did that, people people would be done. They'd flip tables. They'd run out of the room screaming. It's true. And the devices we use to consume all these services, they're free. Aren't iPhones free? I haven't checked. <laughs> That's true. All right. That was the show. That was a fun one. Uh, so, uh, obviously, we come out every Thursday. The Vergecast, we have many, many more things to listen to. The Vergecast uh, is live on Thursdays. We're at episode 201 now, which is crazy. Uh, there's Recode Decode with Kara that you should listen to on the Recode Radio Network. There's Recode Media with Peter Kafka. There's Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good. Uh, and then on the Verge side of the house, we've got What's Tech with Chris Plant, which is very fun, and Verge ESP with uh, Emily Yoshida and Liz Lopato. That's uh, I will tell you, Emily is uh, she's starting up Game of Game of Thrones again, so that's going to be really fun as Game of Thrones starts next week. Uh, and then we have a whole website that I think you should consume at the, available at theverge.com. I, I, I just wanted to say uh, uh, that we will not be doing one of these next week because I'm going on vacation. So, oh, that's true. So we'll be back on the tw- uh, Thursday the 28th. You will be able to hear the next one of these. Yes. And we, in the meantime, we do love your feedback. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. I'm at Reckless. I love your suggestions for the opening of the show. Please keep sending them in. And uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll do another one. All right. That was it. Thanks so much, Walt. That was a real fun one. Take care, Eli. I agree. A lot of fun. Hold up. 